Hey guys, Luke here. Just to let you know, the upcoming episode has some adult themes and some bad language. I know most people don't object to that, but uh, just in case you're listening to it in front of children, this might not be the episode for you. So just giving you a warning just before the episode begins. Hello, my name's Luke and welcome to Scapegoat, the podcast where we see who gets the blame and who gets away with murder, sometimes literally. So in this week's episode, we are going to be discussing the case of Gary McKinnon, the Scottish hacker who was wanted by the United States government for a 10-year period. So for this episode, we've got two very special guests. So uh, from the Not Another Fake Newscast, we've got uh, Paul and Jerry. So do you want to say hi, guys? Hello. Hi, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. so just before we begin, I'd guess most of the people who listen to Scapegoat will already be aware of your podcast, but do you want to say just a little bit about it, just so the people would know uh, what kind of stuff that you get into? Jerry, do you want to take this? Uh, yeah, okay, so we like we talk about uh, kind of fake news, politics, um, and real news. Uh, we discuss it, we have kind of monthly roundup episodes, we do interviews with, with different people and politics in the media and uh we also kind of do deep dive episodes on specific subjects so like we've talked about Karelian and privatization we've looked at the war on drugs we've looked at trump and russia and the scripple poison and all, all kinds of different things and you can find us on www.notanotherfeetnewscast.com yeah or yeah. you can get us on our facebook and twitter at, at pgmcast well like you guys your podcast is actually fairly like presidential because uh certain things you've reported on have actually become big news stories like weeks after you've done it like you're one of the first outlets to be talking about cambridge analytica yeah we, we, we like to think that we're um ahead of the game as much as possible when with, with various stories uh cambridge analytica and some stuff to do with um saudi oil we got on quite quickly um and even in the in the cambridge analytica episode we were to my knowledge, one of the first sources that uh, stated that uh, young Mr. Grimes was possibly involved with the, the Brexit campaign, uh, being involved in uh, shady, shady dealings that ended up, as we're now more than aware, um, has came to fruition and we're aware that, uh, yeah, they were, they were funneling money illegally through different processes, such as through the different uh, subsidiary Brexit campaigns. We also tell yeah. stories about dildos sometimes, so you know, weep with the chat. I mean, right? yeah, it's, that's it. It's not all. It's 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 not all. It's not all uh, un unexciting dour chat about uh, presidents and. Yeah. Do you know that when you put a dildo through a a a, 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 like a trash compactor, is that what you would call it, Jerry? Like, a macerator. A macerator. You know, one of those things for making strawberries. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Um, uh, nothing, nothing happens to it, so it can destroy an engine of a car, but it can't destroy a dildo. Dildos are essentially indestructible. That's what I'm getting at here. The things that Johnny and Shane from Disaster Artists should really be afraid of is cockroaches with dildos once the apocalypse happens. I mean, to be <laughs> honest, I'm kind of afraid of cockroaches with dildos now, and I hadn't even thought about them until you put them together. Well, you know, hey... It's a new. It would be a good. That would be a good movie title for John Waters if he wants to move on to it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that's something I'd never heard. But like, 
Yeah. Would you not just call it a dildo roach? Replacing the word cock with the word dildo? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, dildo roach just makes me think of Papa Roach, and the two are pretty much interchangeable as far as I'm concerned. Hey, the boy that used to sing for Papa Roach was an absolute dildo, so that makes so that makes perfect sense. What was his name again? It was... Uh, he called himself Kobe Dick. Well, I arrest my case. <laughs> I mean, he definitely is an absolute dick. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, we had the IQ of a slab of Kobe beef. <laughs> don't, don't ever... Like, you know, I was trying to make a joke. I was thinking about a joke to do with Kobe beef, but then I thought, I see, I don't really want to bring down Kobe beef. And the thing is... Obviously, when we spoke, so we done a, a environmental issue and we discussed the fact that, you know, people should try and avoid eating beef if they can because there's, it's, just, it's, just no, it's just no good for the environment. Like, eat meat. I'm not saying go vegan or anything, but fuck me, man. The production of beef in pretty much all formats is just no, no done particularly well or ethical for either the environment or the cows or the rainforest or anything. Um, but at the same time... I think it's a good time to introduce our first uh, sponsor, which is the Japanese Council of Meat. Uh, thanks very much for getting on board and sponsoring Scapegoat. Uh, well, okay. As Gary said, moving on to Gary McKinnon. So we'll just start off and talk a little bit about Gary's early life. So Gary McKinnon was born in Glasgow in 1966. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you guys born in Glasgow? No, well, but it's I was enough. born just outside of Glasgow. It's like 60 miles along the road. Essentially, he's a local boy, he is. Aye, aye. And he had, his parents were both Glaswegians. There was Janice Sharp, his mother, who was a musician, and Charlie McKinnon, his dad, who was a member of a scaffolding gang, which... Can, can I just, just clarify, is that a, mu- a magician or a musician? Um, you know, I was. she's a musician, but, like, maybe she did magic tricks in her spare time, you know, you never cool. know. Oh, yeah, just, just yeah. checking. Yeah. Okay, so... The Scott has been described by U.S. prosecutors as being responsible for the greatest military computer hack of all time. So, you know, I think that, uh, as I've written here, sometimes you just notice the fact that he's described as very, very Scottish by the media, which is something that we'll get back to later. But he's normally, if you read an article, it will refer to him as the Scott. But Gary moved at the age of seven down to London after his parents split up, and he doesn't really speak with the most Scottish accent you've ever heard. He sounds actually quite posh London. Ah, okay. So you're saying he's like he's Scottish like Andy Murray when he loses? Yes, yes. Or like, you know, it's like this podcast. If it's good, I'm British. If it's bad, I am <laughs> Irish. And if it's in the middle, I'm Northern Irish. So, you know, the way it works. Oh, yeah, it's very much like ours. We're the only Scottish podcast that does fake news and politics, unless, of course, we hit on a really good story. Then we're, a, then, we're a forward, then we're a forward-thinking British podcast, obviously. Yeah. That's how it works. Well, you know, I think that is how it works, that, you know, you have to buy in that if you do good things, you can finally proudly be British. But, like, you know, if you're drunk in an airport at five in the afternoon, you know, you're certainly Irish or Scottish in that matter. So I mean, that, that seems reasonable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in saying that, though, I, ironically, ironically, the British Empire treated the entire world like it was drunk in an airport at five o'clock for the for the best part of 400 years. So, um. I say there, Zimbabwe. You seem to be drunk <laughs> in an airport. We're going to take all your resources. Yeah, so Gary grew up with a strong interest in computers, receiving his first uh, computer, like an Atari computer, at the age of 14. 
and he was deeply into like playing games looking at this like proto internet he was even on you know which might sound strange but at the time when phones were plugged when you got your internet from a phone line but uh, yeah so he left school at the age of 18 and became qualified to become a hairdresser after 10 years of being a hairdresser gary's friends managed to convince him to follow his passion and to go into computing as a real job it's quite a jump it's a logical progression, isn't it, really? Well, you know, a hairdresser is like, it's, you know, it is, it does seem very intuitive that you'd become a hairdresser, then get into computers. I mean, isn't that the story of Bill Gates as well? <laughs> Bill Gates, um, what's the other one? The dead one that does Apple? Steve Jobs. That's the one. That's the well, one. you know, you know, once he, once he went bald and he lost his hair, he became so enraged, he just couldn't cut another person's hair. And he went to his backup plan of becoming a hairdresser. Your backup plan of leaving hairdressing, surely. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things that when you leave hairdressing, you know, you just can't go back. You know, you burn that bridge and you're ostracized by the hairdressing community, which is. Well, I mean, that's what they say, isn't it? When you leave hairdressing, you can't go back. That's a famous, that's a famous saying, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I think I've heard that an awful lot about, you know, the hairdresser's code. You know, you don't talk about what you've talked about when you're hairdressing. You don't discuss hair after hours, and if you break that, you know. It's like Fight Club. Yeah, it's like Fight Club, but they'll come in and they'll, like, take away all your scissors, and, you know, <laughs> you won't be able to buy any more because they're hard to come across. So, in growing up... That's Gary, not my experience with hairdressers. <laughs> you, find, you find hairdressers really easy to come across? I can either confirm or deny these reports. <laughs> Sorry. Is that why Paul told you to stop going back to him to get your hair cut? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, growing up, uh, Gary was fascinated by certain conspiracy theories, especially involving stuff, stuff like the Disclosure Project. At the age of 15, he joined uh, Bufora, the British UFO Research Association. And, you know, he was absolutely fascinated with them. And when his stepfather came from the most uh, it's the most UFO sightings in the UK is the town his stepfather grew up in. And when he learned this he started just really pumping his stepfather for information saying, Tell me about the UFOs and he kept going on about this for days. Gary believed the US government was hiding plans of perpetual energy devices and anti gravitational devices. So he was pretty focused on thinking, yeah, this is stuff that, you know, the US government is hiding. And Gary began just using the internet to try and find more and more information. So initially, Gary decided to do a test run, and he hacked the computers of Oxford University. He got into their network, and he thought, you know, this is actually relatively easy. So my next target should be U.S. Space Command. <laughs> you know, that's his again. It's one of those. Like I was just going to say, going by the fact that he went, I'm going to be a hairdresser, now I'm going to work in IT. The logic that I'm going to hack Oxford, I'm going to hack the whole of fucking NASA. I mean, he's 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 certainly a man who likes to, uh, he thinks big, shall we say, he thinks big. You know, I kind of feel that, you know, he really missed a trick. He maybe should have gone to America, become a, like a military barber, cutting soldiers' hair, and tried to get information that way, you know. He could have used his <laughs> mad barber skills. And, you know, and the just, thing is, just chatting away to them. Oh, you go on any holidays this year? Um, are UFOs real? Is there perpetual energy? 
I know, no, like you go in and hold any holidays this year. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm. Is it Venus? No, we don't. We don't have a space program. What are you talking about? Oh no, nothing, nothing. Oh my, 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 uh, my hand razor's running out. If only I had some kind of zero point energy for it to run off. Of. Do you know of any? <laughs> like you could, you could fit that in the chat. Man, Alpha Centauri is so beautiful in spring. I've heard. Have you ever been? <laughs> You must go. You must go. If, you must interestingly go. enough, I I like he he seems to have got a lot of his information and been quite um into the disclosure project. Yeah, like so. uh, the f- disclosure project was like really getting big around the time that he started doing his hacking. So this is about two thousand to two thousand one, two thousand two. So this is like peak disclosure project. All right, so is it? So is it, So he was um, a friend of Greer, who is obviously king of the Disclosure Project, isn't he? Well, I don't Stephen think Stephen Greer. I think he was. I think he was. Yeah, yeah, Stephen Greer. By by a friend of Greer, I don't actually mean a friend of Greer. What I essentially mean is a disciple or at least a fan of Greer. Okay, I wondered if that was like kind of a euphemism, like you know, gay people in the seventies were like friends of Dorothy's. Was he a or friend of Elton? You know, yeah, they t- tap them on the shoulder and say, I'm a friend of Greer. And they say, like, you know, hey, now we can, like, talk our information wherever we want. You know, like, I think if you say a friend of Greer, it just means you're gullible. It's a euphemism for gullibility. <laughs> gullible is a motherfucker. It's an alien. It's not an alien. It's an alien. Have you got any proof? None. That's dead, not an alien. How can you prove it's an alien? I said it's an alien. To be honest, Greer, that's just rough. It's rough. You want to come into the desert? We'll show you some aliens. Don't tell any cunt. Eh, no, put me up front. Wait there, I see fucking shifty. Anyway. Sign a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> Sign a non-disclosure agreement What for your disclosure project. Shut it. Stop <laughs> asking fucking questions and sign it. Yeah. Anyway. So Gary managed to hack about 5,000 computers, although McKinnon claims he actually only hacked 97. And they belong to just different branches of the U.S., like of the U.S. forces, including the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, NASA. And... He began looking for like military involvement and government cover-ups and new technologies. You know, he was generally looking. He came across different things that you know he was looking for at the time. For instance, he found non-terrestrial travelers as one of the categories, and he became very fascinated by that. But you know, it didn't lead to that much information. He says. So, see a non-terrestrial. Just curiously, see a non-terrestrial traveller, like an actual, I and mean, this is all, like, this isn't actually me throwing in a wee joke or anything. Would, would this, like, I was going to say spaceman, but I don't know what this would, like, an astronaut essentially fall under being a non-terrestrial traveller if they were, like, like, as in, does, does yeah. terrestrial, I, I mean, I, I, I almost going to say, like, I, I feel like an idiot for asking this question, but essentially the question I'm asking is, would terrestrial define you as being from Earth or travelling on Earth. Do you know what I mean? I, Dude, I just like, think it means you're travelling off Earth. I mean, technically, if you're taking, like, terrestrial to be, like, terra, as in, like, terra firma, if you're getting an aeroplane, you're a non-terrestrial traveller because you're not travelling by well, land. Well, see, I, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm thinking. If you think of somewhere like NASA that is a very scientific in their terminology... Technically, any astronaut would be a non-terrestrial traveller. They would be something, you know what I mean? Like, well, 
I was yeah. kind of thinking that non-terrestrial traveller could just be like a terminology for, I don't know, like a shooting star or an asteroid or a comet or something which travels not on a, uh, a f- kind of fixed orbit around the planet or whatever, but travels throughout the solar system or the galaxy or whatever. Like, you know, we're talking about NASA here, so it could just be a category for a celestial body. I don't know if it is or, or not. Arguably a satellite as well, but the same grounds as what you're saying there, Jerry. Like if their satellites yeah. could fundamentally be non-terrestrial travelers, they are in a, they, they are traveling. They are like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, what's the, what's the famous one that fucked off out of our solar system recently? Oh my God. Voyager. <laughs> mong- no, Voyager. Yeah, Voyager. I sound like such a Muppet man. Um, but I, when Voyager, fundamentally, that would be a non-terrestrial traveler, wouldn't it? I mean, it's. It's traveling through. I mean, I'm not saying that it is, but I'm saying that there's a lot of things that could easily fall under that definition without yeah. that they're just using actual scientific definition for rather than, um, rather than it being something like an alien. However, I haven't looked at Google specifically for the term non terrestrial traveler. The only time that I can see it mentioned is in relation to Gary McKinnon. It also sounds like a Radiohead album, just so we're clear. It, it does sound like the sequel to the B-sides of OK Computer, but <laughs> the problem I find with Gary McKinnon is whenever he's discussing this, he says, like, oh, and what was in the folder? And he's like, oh, no, I was high as fuck. Like, you know, he was smoking, like, half <laughs> Kind of like, you know, the, the way I envisioned Gary when I was first thinking about this is, like, he was just like, oh, I'm going to look up stuff in the computer, like, you know, very nerdish. But he's like, the way he describes it, it's like he's sitting there with a can, a cigarette, smoking a joint at the same time, just like fucking blazed off his head, kind of like just reading this shit. I mean, like, it does change the scenario. Like, if he's like a guy who's like sitting in a basement, just like, enhance, enhance. And you know what I mean? Like, going through stuff and actually trying to work out what it is that he's looking at. But like, he was, he was just absolutely heavy stoned at his banger. Just like, just like, oh, does that say? I bet that, like, like, so he reads the sentence, non terrestrial traveler, and he's just like, fuck, man. Like, he, he didn't, didn't remotely decide to try and question it like we did by spitballing for the whole of two or three seconds there. It was just like, non terrestrial travelers, they must be like, Grays or some shit. <laughs> I mean, like... Interestingly, interestingly enough, as well, there's a there's a point where he talks about having seen an image of like a cigar shaped object, um, you know, traveling <laughs> in the air. He, he saw an image of this while he was on NASA servers, but he forgot to take a screenshot of it. So it's all quite convenient that you know he, he has all this information, but absolutely zero evidence of any of it. It was a cigar shaped blunt <laughs> flying towards <laughs> his mouth. Look, I mean, like, I kind of get the feeling of Gary McKinnon that, like, maybe he just had his mouse, like, he was going to click on something, then he moved his mouse, and he was like, pretty, and he was just, like, watching the mouse go around in circles rather than clicking on stuff. But, you know, as you say, the cigar object, he probably just dropped a cigarette and ended up staring at it for 20 minutes. (laughs) It's got some sort of cryptic writing, Marlboro Gold... What does it mean? I seen a, a cigar shaped object and it smelled and tasted like grape. And yeah, that's a that's a blunt joke, anyway. Just like, just just throwing it out there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just uh, the way Gary was hacking these computers was he used a system called Pearl, 
and he just searched for dead passwords on government computers. So by dead passwords, this is just like a lot of the government computers, like when they put them in, the people just didn't put in even a basic password. It was just blank, like, you know. Perl's a programming language, so essentially it's just like he was just running scripts. Yeah. That, like as you said, essentially he was just like running scripts that were just trying to bang in as many generic passwords as possible, blank password, the same as username, administrator, that type of shit stuff that out the box passwords and all. Default as far stuff. as I can, as far as I can make out from, I had a bit of a look into trying to understand his process, and essentially all he done was use four or five different. Uh, kind of i'll call them off the shelf but essentially readily available pieces of software that were out there that done this they were essentially password uh, breakers and they ran scripts that would just chain them all together so instead of just running one he was running like 15 or whatever you know what i mean 10 at the same time and they were just concurrently all running through a whole shitload of standardized uh, passwords and you know, essentially what we call now in IT, we would call it a brute force attack, which is just, they were just banging in as much information as possible to try and get a result. Just so happens, which I think you're about to touch on here, is the the fact the amount of information they had to bang in was actually blank passwords. <laughs> so, so it was hitting them quite fast. Yeah, I mean, like, you'd imagine, but, like, this is pre-9-11 when he's starting, so it's kind of like a different atmosphere that the U.S. is like, yeah, internet, internet, you know, we don't really care what's happening, you know. Like, you know, I can't imagine now a major government not having passwords on, his, on their computer, but then again, I wouldn't have imagined them letting Hillary Clinton keep her own email, so, you know, same sort of thing is kind of happening now. Yeah, I think today the Tory... Um... The like conservative uh, party conference app got hacked, and every single uh, attendee that's registered with the uh, Tory party got like their email, their, their mobile phone, like all their address, yeah. everything, all all hacked. So you know, this stuff still does happen because people are still stupid. So the thing is, and just like for the listeners to understand, if anyone's not kind of into this world, when we say hack, I mean it's not like. It's not like somebody was sitting there with a DOS prompt, typing away. Do you know what I mean? And doing like 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 it was an it's an exploited hole it was in it. Do you know what I mean? The the information was essentially there, like to give you kind of a bit off topic, but to give you a quick idea of the way that certain hacks work. Um, there was quite a big one that happened uh, as a precursor to the Occupy movement and stuff like that that all happened in the United States. And essentially, the the guy who went to jail over this. He discovered that on a AT and T server, he could just uh, the so you know the web address that you all see your HTTP forward slash forward slash um, that address. If he just incremented the number by one every time, it would give you like the username and the password of each person's. Uh, essentially, it would give you the email address. Oh, and the name of every person that was like registered on it. They just so he was able to run a script that just ran an increment of one every time and took all the data. 
and because it was the AT&T servers, it was getting like the personal email addresses of like Secretary of States and guys in charge of NASA and the guys in charge of Disney and all sorts of stuff because they all used it for their uh, mobile uh, internet. It's the same basic principle as what happened today with the Tories. It's no like somebody was there trying to break it. It was just that like they don't... <laughs> And uh, excuse my French, but essentially they don't give a shit about the data that's there, and they just uh, they, they, they the way it was put to us when we were at the Byline Festival, and it gives you kind of an idea of the way that the software works. Was um, there's a guy who's pushing it, who's a project manager, and he wants a bit of software to go out, so he wants the end result to look like X. He doesn't know, fully understand, or give a shit about what the background Y looks like. So whether or not that's secure or not before X is achieved, he doesn't really care and they don't really test the Y as well as they should, providing that the X looks correct. So a lot of times like this app, this app would have been pushed out in relatively, I mean, it would have been developed in a relatively small window and essentially it done all the things that they were going to do, but they didn't properly test it. And that's why they lost fucking all their telephone numbers today. Which would have been, which was definitely devastating for the Tories, because there only is about fifteen of them in the UK anyway. I think it was a case of Quentin. Shall I call tech support? No, that sounds rather beastly. Let's just stick our email in here and hope. <laughs> Your tea was shite. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Gary was he was actually quite uh, crafty, you know, when he was going to do these hacks. So. He used the computer that belonging to his girlfriend's aunt. He went to her house and from there he discovered that like a lot of the computer networks belonging to the US government had no computer admin passwords. There was like low, no local administrator. So if he managed to like log into like the network as the admin, he could access any computer on the system. So, you know, he could just jump into any random computer. So he'd say, I like the look of like Pentium processor six jump into that and he would just be on the computer so he was logged on remotely so he would just be like moving his mouse around inside the computer clicking on files and trying to find information but because of that you know he could only log on to computers which are turned on and online and if you're actually looking at the computer screen at the time you'd be able to see like gary moving the mouse around opening up files and folders trying to find different like you know aeroplane models or space things that he was looking for at the time so it was quite conspicuous and for this reason mckinnon was just trying to use the computers in like outside odd hours times when the u.s government you know he thought there'd be no officials so and like if you're in the uk that was probably pretty easy to to manage that yeah, I think it was Gary's routine that, you know, he'd have a couple of beers, smoke a couple of joints and just wait for the US government to go offline and then he would just hack them at that point. Stood at his banger, just like, and like he's uh, in his auntie's house or whatever, just stood at his eye, just like, I'm going to go on, I'm fucking sick of hairdressing, I'm going to break into NASA, <laughs> like four o'clock in the morning. I, you know, it just seemed really kind of odd that, you know, it's just hanging around his girlfriend's aunt house, you know, she would let him just stay out all night just hanging around his girlfriend's aunt's house. Like, I don't think I could hang around my actual aunt's house and just do that, you know, but he seemed pretty chill and being able to do that, which is pretty good for him. Maybe she had, maybe she had loads and loads and loads of uh, free AOL desks 
for free internet usage, so it isn't costing them anything, possibly. I mean that, or uh, he was just using like the whole hacking thing as an excuse to like sleep with his girlfriend's aunt, and like he just went way over into his method acting to try and get away with it. <laughs> also because he was really like, having sex with her aunt. Oh, what are you side. doing? I'm <laughs> going to uh, break into NASA. That's, that, was, that was his euphemism. In fact, all of this is just a lie, right? <laughs> it's just fucking being blown out of proportion. He, he done it. I... <laughs> I had to learn it once just get caught and he's just like I'll be doing it for 97 machines aye convenient but in fact he was just banging her auntie you know sometimes you tell one little lie to try and cover up another lie and then things just get out of control and you're just like oh no I really don't know like I should have just fast up at the beginning this is getting too crazy for me man I really don't know what's going on okay okay just let me be the hacker now I'll just slam the hacker <laughs> I want, I want that to be the scenario so far. Hey, we've all been Like looking at himself in the mirror every day at the moment, just like this has got out of control. Can we go like? Yeah. Next thing. Next thing he has to pretend he has Aspergers. The thing about Gary during this period was he was taking a lot of like crazy risks that he was looking around and he was going at like different times, looking at all these computers, and I had very like little security he was saying like he was seeing all these other people from all these other countries hacking at the same time like thailand and holland and germany so he kind of thought like if everyone else is looking you know i'll have a look too but once or twice you know he had very near misses that there was a time that you know he was just looking at this computer and like a guy opens a word pad when he's on the computer saying like hey what's up what's going on here but Gary decided he'd just bluff the guy. I did actually. He said I was. I says I'm a system admin doing work on the uh, doing work on this. Just ignore me. The guy's like, aye, sure. That's that's, that's all right. Say, like, man, you're the Department of Defense. You're shit. <laughs> Your fucking job, man. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's really important for like the listeners to understand that like this is pre nine eleven that Gary was doing his hacks. You know, starting about two thousand. 2001 before 9-11 so like everything seemed a lot more chill back then that the you know the US were just like a computer for nerds we don't really care you know it doesn't really matter at all if you know people hack our stuff because you know nothing's importance on a computer then after 9-11 they're like we must secure the computers we must secure everything we must secure the airports like you know, I remember watching all these movies as a kid like you know Home Alone where Macaulay Culkin goes to the airport and, you know, someone knocks him over and he picks up someone else's ticket and he ends up somehow in New York. And you're just like, no, that would be absolutely impossible. But, like, back then, there seemed like a real possibility that you could just, like, bumble around and somehow, like, break security. And everyone's like, oh, well, nah, you didn't break anything there. <laughs> I know. If you've been to actually a modern airport, what would happen is everybody runs to the gate and then... They'd be like fucking queuing for 25 minutes, 30 minutes, waiting for the plane to fucking land. And then maybe another 10 or 15 minutes. And then when they get there, you would have to show your passport and it would beep. And you're just, oh, it's just, a, it's just a nightmare from start to finish. There would be no running through the airport and going to the wrong gates. Just home alone. Essentially what we're saying is, after, since 9-11 ruined the chance of home alone ever happening. You hear what you're saying? It's one of the biggest problems with 9-11. 
and wrecking the feasibility of Home Alone is the worst thing Osama Bin Laden has ever done. Osama! <laughs> Speaking of Osama, around this time, you know, because of the lack of 9-11 security laws, Gary was just, you know, he just thought he could hack anything. And, you know, this became what he thought was his true calling in life. So he ended up quitting his job to full-time research aliens and go on hack the NSA website. He quit just for the sole purpose of this. And he goes into his girlfriend and just simply says, Here, Jasmine, great news. I quit my job so I could do this full-time. <laughs> I can understand why he quit his job, though, because searching for UFOs and then And, you know, like, and everybody pain. knows that, you know, endless amounts of weed and beer is free. So <laughs> there, was no, there was no reason for him to have a job. Uh, I mean, maybe he had thought of some, like, ludicrous scheme to try and make money out of it, but, you know, I really can't see what he was up to. <laughs> just phoning NASA up, just like, I've got copies of uh, your black and white pictures of cigar-shaped objects. Uh, I expect some money, and NASA would be like, who the fuck are you? Don't don't phone us again, <laughs> you lunatic. Just like, oh, I wish I didn't quit my job now. Can I always go back to hairdressing, I suppose. Well, as you'd expect if you'd suddenly came home and told your girlfriend you'd quit your job to search for aliens, Jasmine dumped Gary and just immediately started seeing off her people while Gary was still living in the apartment. So Gary was just, like, looking for aliens while his ex-girlfriend was, like, trying to move on to new men. It was a messed-up situation. So moving the story forward, Gary eventually did get caught. Now, this was after 9-11 had happened. So the US had started to increase security. So this was in March 2002. So Gary, just somebody came across Gary trying to like open files on a computer. And rather than just opening a text folder and saying, hey, what's up, bro? They just like immediately went onto the networking device and just like side clicked, disconnect. And Gary was thrown off the internet. And he knew at the time he had messed up, but he just didn't think this was such a big deal. He just continued to kind of like move on. And later that month, on the 19th of March, you know, he woke up with the police there in his like apartment, just arresting him and, you know, saying like, Gary McKinnon, you're under arrest for cyber crimes. And the worst thing for him was he had clearly, you know, went out the night before and he had stayed out. He said, you know, he stayed out till like 4 a.m. and he was like drunk. So it's like. Imagine waking up nine o'clock in the morning with a massive hangover and the police are there saying like, Gary, you're going to prison for hacking. Oh, so when he got lifted? So when he got, so when he got lifted, he was absolutely... Where's he getting the money for this? When the, Where's he getting so when the, the money for up, this? He was like steaming in that and stoned at his face. He's like, shh, guys, come here. I've find some fucking aliens. But I mean, I kind of can understand that being the 19th, you know, he's clearly had a long St. Patrick's Day weekend, you know, he's got, he's done the one day and he thought, oh man, I gotta do the second day. And then suddenly he wakes up and there's cops, man, that's the worst feeling, dude. <laughs> the story just seems, like, I mean, like, <laughs> fair play, he was logging onto machines, right, and he didn't have passwords, so he was getting into them quite easy. And he doesn't, he's in this entire time, hadn't really got any evidence. But do you not know, think at this point, before we go into the court case side of things and all that kind of stuff, do you not know, think at this point that when you're the police and you're sent there, you'd be like, really though? Like, do you not know, think there's even a point where 
maybe they're concerned that they have got stuff worth stealing at NASA because otherwise would you not just be like, this guy's off his head. <laughs> this guy's this guy's just a lunatic. I just I like the idea that I like the idea that the police turned up at his door and he was like, How did you find me? You changed the screensaver on one of the NASA computers to like a list of your address, a little picture of you with your thumbs up. What did you do that for, Gary? He's a fucking idiot. It's not like he's a master hacker with the sound of things, eh? I mean, like, Gary's relationship with NASA seems almost like he's the kind of guy who's like texts them at like 3 a.m. being like, You up? <laughs> Oh, I hope he didn't download black and white pictures as he night. turns over and realises he's lying next to a half-eaten kebab. <laughs> like, you okay, hon? Hey, NASA. I say I keep sending NASA dick pics at four in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah, but the situation for Gary at this point was starting to look really bad because, you know, the US government had managed to trace him and they actually had traced him via a really, really simple way because... You know, all the hacking software, all the Perl that Gary had used, he actually had signed on with it with his own email address. So they were just like, okay, Gary McKinnon at hotmail.com. Let's type in Gary McKinnon and find out where he lives. And, you know, they quickly found him and they quickly got the, you know, the UK government to go and arrest him. And, you know, very soon after that, the United States was filing court proceedings and they claimed that, like, McKinnon had caused $800,000 worth of damage to US military computers. How much? 800000 I thought he said 8000 there. I was going to say, right? <laughs> it's not really. It's 700000 but there seems to be a dispute. It's somewhere around seven or 800000 And he said, like, they caused this much damage to computers. He had deleted munitions logs from Navy computers, which temporarily paralyzed the supply of weapons to the US Atlantic fleet. So if you had a man to do this, you know, the Scottish guy had just like somehow sabotaged the Navy. And pretty much initially what the United States said was, here, if you agree to pay for your own flight to come over to the United States and we can arrest you, we'll put you into jail for three or four years. And Gary McKinnon basically turned to his lawyer and said like, Oh, okay. Uh, should I? I shouldn't do this, should I? And she said, "Oh, I take the deal." And he said, "Oh, can they extradite me?" And he he said no. And then he was like, "Okay," you know, just walked away, whistling to himself, like you know, not going to hear about this again. And McKinnon, when he had hacked the computers, had left threatening and disparaging messages on the logs of U.S. computers. Firstly, saying, "Your security is crap," and secondly, stating. U.S. foreign policy is akin to government-sponsored terrorism these days. It was not a mistake that was huge security stand-downs on 9-11 last year. I am solo. I will continue to disrupt at the highest levels. I mean, I love that, right? Like, the reason I love that is because, even though we've joked about it, right, the fact that he was going on, the fact that he already gave himself a hacker name, eh... And he was solo. And I believe that there was a lot of times that he was solo. Um but but he had his own hacker name. Yeah. I love I love the idea I love the idea that he's given himself a, a hacker name like oh I'm some sort of I like I, I like the fact that he didn't choose a name like Enigma, but he chose a name like Lonely. 
know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, ah, they call me No Friends. Oh, that's, 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 quite, that's quite like Gary. Can you choose another name? No, no, it's No Friends. That's how the Matrix works. Um, so my problem with the whole bit is, is, like, we've joked about it. Obviously, he's getting high, he's getting drunk and all that kind of stuff. The guy is an absolute, seems to be a bit of a pelter. But at the same time, he was stringing scripts together to try and break in. He was choosing the times that he was going into. He was leaving messages saying he is against American foreign policy. All those things are essentially a digital terrorist act. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really difficult to address that as anything other than premeditated. Yeah, well, especially if he's deleting files and deleting logs and stuff like that, you know. Choosing your own Matrix name can be hard. What would you choose, Paul and Jerry, if you have to have a one snappy hacker name? I see the problem is, so I'm... Shit, I don't even know how to have this conversation. So I have a name, like, is it, like not a hacker name, but I've got a name that is my online name, my online presence for everything in the world. Like, is in on all... No, I need that too. But, but it's on. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. Of course, it's my Twitter handle, so it doesn't fucking matter. But it's Gonzo Sinister, so that's on my Twitter handle. But I'm also on, obviously, Steam and Epic and Xbox Live and Xbox and everything. I mean, any forum, anything. I'm always Gonzo Sinister, and I have been for um probably about. 16 years 15 years 16 years so i think that's my name some some there's been a couple of slight variants but some combination of gonzo and usually sinister but it's always a gonzo so i mean if i had to just be one snappy i'd probably be gonzo but i imagine find myself in a legal dispute over that so gonzo sinister is that like what like a rapist muppet well, I, I mean, I, if you know much about Gonzo, uh, he only shags chickens, so that's quite sinister. Can you have consensual sex with a chicken? Asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you know, you can have sinister sex with a chicken, which is what I'm suggesting. Is that when you tie a chicken to a train track and then make sweet, sweet love to it, or what? <laughs> I pretty much. That's, that's, that's the only way I have sex with chickens, I don't know about you freaks. Uh, so it's okay yeah. as long as the chicken's into it. Um, I, in answer to your question, I'm Kid Pyramid and have been again since I was about 16 year old. Um, that's a, just a mash together of two, uh, like a Radiohead song and a Radiohead album. The, the problem is with Kid Pyramid is you sound like the fucking Illuminati. Who said that wasn't? Me. What's, what's, what would yours be, Luke? I had to change minds because I was for years uh, like, you know, it would be the same handle that I would use in the Discord. I would normally just go by my first names, which would be Luke and Patrick. But I used to have the number 88 connected with it. And that's still what it is for, uh, you know, that's the year of my birth, like 1988. But I learned about a year ago when I was joining another Discord that the number 88 is pretty synonymous with... uh, neo-nazis because 88 is also like eight the seventh eighth letter is hh so people see it as heil hitler so i joined another group they're like dude we're not letting a guy in if he's got like 88 as part of his name well i mean that's that's mental 
Well, I mean, like, it is mental, but, like, certain numbers, are, I suppose, are attached to things, isn't it? Like, suppose... I was going to say, like, MS-13, but 13's attached to loads of other stuff as well, isn't it? And I'm sure there's another one. There's a, there's another Nazi number. Combat 18? Was Combat 18, that's the other one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this, the group I joined was, like, the Chapo Trap House Discord, and, you know, they would be actually pretty far left. Yeah. So, you know, that's, they kind of, there'd be a lot of people there who I'd say, you know, would be very, very wary. So, you know, I wouldn't be that, <laughs> I wouldn't be that politically left, but joining that, you know, they were like, no, no, you know, either change, either change it or get out, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service. I, uh, I like sometimes I would have went by the username. I love Jimmy Savile, but after all the stuff came out, I felt I had to change that as well. For real? No, I was, no, I, not was, for real, for fuck's sake. No, no, because no, he was actually, I, I loved Jimmy Savile and, uh, People get a bit worried about it. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine that being a lot of trouble. That, uh, like, I don't know. Actually, I'll tell you the story, but uh, it's like one of my, uh, one of the people who I would be a postman in my town was a huge Gary Glitter fan and had a guy, Gary Glitter tattoo. And you can imagine, <laughs> like, how quickly he got rid of that. Well, it's like Lost Profit fans. Oh, man, there's, a, like... there's, a, there's a lot of Lost Profit fans that uh, wish they didn't have those tattoos. I mean, let's be honest, Lost Profit fans were ball bags before he was a pedo. Aye, I, I yeah. mean, like, it's just like, like Lost Profits are pish and you shouldn't like him and he's a pedo. Like, <laughs> it's like, as, as a footnote to those other two components. Aye. Well, I felt very sorry for, do you know H from Steps? His name is also Ian Watkins. So when journalists were looking for like the musician Ian Watkins, a lot of them were putting up pictures of H from Steps. We had to go on to like Twitter and be like, "I am not a pedo. I'm just like a children's entertainer who happens to be gay, but like I'm not a pedo. Leave me alone, guys." The other thing as well is, like if you Google search and you, you you Google search a name and you know that one of them has been deemed as a pedophile, you look and you're just like. It's one for steps, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? That's, that's your go-to before you even read the rest of the story. You're just like, Ian Watkins, and then you type in his name, it's just like, another oh, guy for steps, and you just automatically presume that's who it is, because, you know, you know, a guy for steps turns out to be a pedo. Not hugely shocked about that. The other thing is, like, H from Steps also had problems when he tried to join the Chapel Trap House uh, Discord server, because they were like, <laughs> H? No, I'm out. No, 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 it means Hitler. <laughs> or Heil. None of the things are what we want. Yeah, yeah. As I said earlier, although although McKinnon had admitted to committing a crime, he was not arrested in the UK, was allowed to continue with the rest of his life, you know, pretty much with no immediate repercussions. The police said, do you want to, you know, the Americans want you to take this three to four year deal. And he was like, no deal. And just walked out like whistling this doop de doop de doo I'm going to go buy an, a six pack of Fosters and go back to my computer. Although I do believe at the time the police gave him like the loose warning, do not be on computers. And they still kept his computer, but I don't think there was any immediate ban saying he couldn't do it anymore. But behind the scenes, the US government began to pass a lot of legislation to stop terrorism. So this is a year of like, the Patriot Act and 
heavy NSA surveillance in the U.S. We're getting like black sites for torture outside of the U.S. borders, places like Gitmo and black sites in Poland, you know, torture people. So Gary should really have been watching his neck a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, like, I just like the idea that it was just like, um, you've been arrested. What are you going to do while we're looking at it? I'm going to go and uh, shag my ex's auntie. And, uh, yeah, what do Janice's aunt's up to? <laughs> I'm going to, or, or Jasmine, sorry. I'm going to Jasmine's aunt's to, uh, to, to get into the deep web, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm relatively confident that's what he was doing. But uh, I would have thought they would have stopped him from uh, being able to be near a computer at all, rather than just being like, we're going to keep your computer, try no and use another one. Well, you know, it's the thing was that he was banned from using a computer, but from what I understand, that's when the deportation attempt was happening. I don't think he was initially banned from using a computer, but I could be wrong. The timeline's a little bit hazy, but from what I've read, I don't believe he was initially banned from using a computer when he was arrested in 2002. I remember reading that at one point he had to sign into a local police station every evening. Yeah. Again, I think that was, I think that's when the deportation order came out that he had to sign into a police station, but I think initially he didn't. From what I understand of the timeline, again, I could be incorrect, but it seems that, like, initially when he was arrested, he did get, like, very little happened to him. And at this time, it's important to note that the UK government was pretty much willing to do whatever the US government wanted, e.g., like, the, the US said, like, here, we're going to invade Afghanistan. The UK was like, we're with you, buddy. And they said, we're going to invade Iraq. And Tony Blair was like, Oh, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, we've got a special relationship and we're just totally going to do whatever Bush says. So the UK passed a piece of legislation called the Extradition Act in 2003. This combining with a new uh, US-UK extradition treaty meant it was far easier to deport people from the UK to America, although it didn't really work the other way around. So... At the time, the UK government was saying, here, can we get some of the IRA guys who fled to New York? And the US is like, no, fam. Like, we cool, we cool, but, like, you know, can we have some of yours? That doesn't really seem very fair, does it? No, it didn't. But, like, you know what's after 9-11? Britain was pretty much saying anything America wants, we'll give to them. And, you know, the extradition treaty, you know, it's been described by different people as being incredibly one-sided, you know, because the US were able to ask for an extradition without evidence, only needing reasonable suspicion. So if you know anything about police and reasonable suspicion, you know, the police can search your car because they don't like the look of you because they have a reasonable suspicion that you would have been, like, you're smuggling something or something. You know, it's very loose territory that you can get away with an awful lot, just put under reasonable suspicion. Yeah, I mean, in the west of Scotland, they ran an operation called Operation Spotlight which was essentially, if you looked like you might be committing a crime, then they were able to like stop and search you, which, as you can imagine, if you look like you might be committing a crime or you might have criminal uh, leanings, is very open to interpretation. So you can just use it to harass people you don't like. Uh, 
be a race. Their suspicion is that the person has curly hair and a big set of lips kind of way. Well, yeah, I mean, like, that that easily could be now in the west of Scotland, the person wearing a crucifix around their neck or the person, you know, being probably Asian is more likely, do you know what I mean? But, yeah, I mean, essentially that, it certainly becomes a way to manage the masses than it actually is to, 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 to cut down in crime. Like, it, it always gets abused. And I believe looking at the... Uh, extradite stuff from america it's very it's much the same as um the patriot act in the u.s and some of the equivalent stuff that we have here terrorism act yeah, yeah it's it's pretty much because it's so open to uh interpretation it's open to abuse as well it's open to abuse yeah i mean essentially you can hold anyone for anything because you can find things to hold them that loosely connect because it's so open-ended. I mean, the idea behind all of these things is that you can't, if you found someone, or, or the justification for all these things is you find someone who has committed X crime, um, you need to be able to get them over to be able to hold them accountable. So you, you can't set anything in stone, so it then means you've got the best chance of being able to get them over, or you've got the best chance of being able to hold them in detention, but obviously it's massively open to abuse, where you could find yourself, I don't know, trying to get rid of a drunk, possibly autistic stoner that's shagging somebody's auntie, because uh, cause there wasn't any passwords on your computer, you know what I mean? Like, in the UK under yeah. the Terrorism Act, you can hold somebody for an indefinite amount of time without having to present any evidence to any kind of court, which is kind of mental. Um, and it's fine if you don't have uh, a government that's abusing it, but the, the legislation's there, and if you had a government which wanted to abuse it, they could do. Interestingly enough, I've found some information about the extradition. Um, it was in June 2005, which was actually when the UK finally enacted the Extradition Act. So it was a 2003 act, but we didn't implement it until 2005. At that point in June when that happened, that was when McKinnon became subject to bail conditions, and that included a requirement to sign in at his local police station every evening, and he had to remain at his home address at night. He had to be at his home address? Yeah, he was, yeah, he was, not, allowed to, he was not allowed to go around to his... He uh, wasn't allowed to go see the auntie? <laughs> it, depends what was his, it depends what his home address was, if he had put that down as his home address, though. Uh, smart know, thinking, Gary. Basically, he put down his home address as uh, Jasmine's auntie's pants, so, you know, always <laughs> have, you know, there, you know. But, uh, That's I, where I'm staying. Am I right, guys? I'm not solo this evening. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the worst type of person. Not me, him. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the thing was that the UK, that they started doing this when the UK signed it in 2005, but the U from the US side, they didn't sign it till 2006. So it may became law in both countries. And with that, around 2005, 2006, the US began making a serious push to get Gary McKinnon extradited to the United States. You know, they had put in, in 2005, a request for Gary McKinnon to be extradited, and now with the legislation, the process seemed pretty inevitable. Like, Gary thought in 2002 when he was arrested, whoop-de-doo, I don't have to be bothered. But at this point, he's now seriously thinking, 
oh goodness, maybe it would have been better for me to take the three or four years that they were promising me. And, you know, he became, Gary was under certain bail conditions from this point, as Gary, as Jerry said, you know, he had to sign into a local police station each evening, and he had to uh, remain at his home address each night. So, you know, it was pretty hard going for Gary. And at this point, McKinnon, with the help of his mother, began to appeal against the extradition in UK courts, leading McKinnon's case to the House of Lords, which is the UK's highest court at the time. And I believe, is the House of Lords still the highest court, or is there a Supreme Court in the UK now? Um, so, like, so, yes and no. Like, so, obviously, you've got the European Court, which fundamentally is, which governs British law. Do you know what I mean? Like, not so, for much longer. No, not for much longer, but currently, and certainly at the time it did. So, or not at the time, but a year ago <laughs> and just now. Whereas, so, I, I don't 100% hold me this, but as far as I'm aware, our equivalent, our equivalent to the American Supreme Court is essentially the European Court, as in with relevance to the power that it has over the decision. But don't 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 hundred percent hold me with that. But I believe that's the way. That, is, is that not correct, Jerry? Right, so what happened was the House of Lords up until November two thousand like nine, the Law Lords and the House of Lords was the highest court in uh, England and Wales, uh, and that's now been replaced by the Supreme Court from. November 2009 onwards, Scotland operates a different system of law. All right, so it's different. So it's different for us than it is England. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, the House of Lords, <laughs> that's another issue. If you're going to do an episode in the House of Lords, uh, definitely have us back because I've got lots of things to say about that. Ah, well, the House of Lords is an odd thing, but like I think we almost touched on it when we were discussing the royal family, but we didn't, or I didn't during that episode. But yeah, I imagine it's a pretty crazy place. But uh, yeah, McKinnon's lawyer claimed that uh, McKinnon was coming under a lot more pressure to sign the three to four year deal to go to a US prison, rather, because if he was deported, he risked 70 years. The U.S. were just like, just hand yourself in. But, you know, it was kind of a form of harassment because if McKinnon went over there, they didn't write on in paper that, you know, how long he was going to spend there. It was kind of like an informal agreement. And once he went to the United States, there was a good chance that, like, you know, they could completely renege on the deal and say, nah, nah, you're here. You're here as long as we want you to be here. And, you know, if he went over there, McKinnon would waive, waive all his legal rights, you know, and a plea bargain wouldn't be agreeable under British law. So pretty much he'd be completely bound to what the Americans decided to do with him. So, you know, at the end of the day, the three or four years would sound like a pretty rough deal if he ended up taking it. So McKinnon's appeal was moved to Europe's highest court, the European Court of Human Rights, who temporarily suspended the extradition order. But after like a lengthy appeal, it was rejected, meaning it looked like McKinnon was going to be uh, deported. And this was taking up a lot of years. So the High Court was 2008, and in 2009, you know, was the European Court of Human Rights. So 
you know, this process kept going longer and longer and longer. So McKinnon began to ask for a judicial review from the High Court, claiming the hacker was at a high risk of suicide if he was extradited. The argument was that the Home Secretary had not taken this into consideration when agreeing to extradite. However, lawyers from Jackie Smith, the Home Secretary, successfully argued the chance of an extradition to Gary McKinnon's health was low. So yeah, I, I, they, I think it's uh, interesting to state at this point that when up up until now, two thousand and nine, uh, all of this, all of Gary McKinnon's cases essentially happened under a Labour government in power, and Home Secretary Jackie Smith at this point was Labour politician. But the the Tories sort of began putting uh, pre political pressure on in Gary McKinnon's favour, um, whether that's because they genuinely believed in his cause or, in my opinion, it might just be because they were using him to play a little bit of a political game and to score political points. Well, you know, this was the era that was David Cameron was going to the Arctic and trying to like be seen with all these like polar bear puppies and stuff and they changed the conservative logo to a tree. So they were really trying to soften their image, being like, we're conservatives, but we care. So, you know, it would have definitely been on brand for the conservatives to be backing Gary McKinnon in this case. I mean, to put that into perspective now, if you can imagine current UK politics, if you can imagine that we're talking about the same people, they were just the, they were just the shadow government, do you know what I mean? We're talking about them, but... I couldn't imagine almost any of them defending a possibly suicidal slash autistic, but certainly a, 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 a British hacker, no matter how easy it was for hacking to not be sent over to America. I mean, I just could not imagine anyone in the current Tory government willing to stand up for the rights of that person at the present moment. Yeah, and also like, let's be honest, nobody nobody really since two thousand and ten has, has has ever said, Oh, the Tory government, they're really kind to disabled people. Not at all. But the story became actually so big at this time that uh that a, a famous man uh from Cambridge University, Simon Baron Cohen, saw Gary McKinnon on TV speaking and Baron Cohen is an expert in the subject of autism, so he invited McKinnon to come to meet him at Cambridge University. And over like a three-hour meeting, he came to the conclusion that Gary was uh, Gary suffered from uh, Asperger's, which is a high-functioning form of autism. So he wrote a paper to the High Court saying that Gary is, in his professional opinion, autistic, and therefore would not be able to handle the extradition. The thing is that, though, as as Jerry alluded to, that uh, the Conservative Party was using Gary McKinnon as one of their pet causes, you know, because it looked at the time like there was an upcoming election between uh, when Gordon Brown was going to, his term was going to end at, in 2010 at the very latest. So, you know, this was part of the Conservative strategy was, you know, trying to seem more sympathetic. And... Gary McKinnon had a growing level of support, especially in Scotland. So many Scottish newspapers, for instance, the Glasgow Herald or the Scotsman, began running articles in support of Gary McKinnon. And Scottish entrepreneur Luke Heron added to Gary McKinnon's legal fund. So 
at this point, you know, it was good for Gary because, you know, he had the legal fund and he had a way of supporting, you know, going to the pub each evening, which he did say that he was doing at this point because he was heavily depressed. So he was spending a lot of time reading newspapers and pubs, he said, during this time. And I mean, yeah. I do that. Sorry? I like oh, no, 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 no. No, I mean, just he, he said that he was deeply depressed by the whole thing, so he was drinking yeah, away his problems. I think maybe Luke Heron would like to sponsor my reading newspapers and drinking in pubs. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you had spent your entire, like, if you had spent your entire, like, last, say, five years banging somebody's aunt and reading the internet, and then suddenly you couldn't do either because you had to be home at a certain time of night, and uh, you only had newspapers to read. Yeah, I'd probably be pretty depressed. It'd be a very different way of life. Can't imagine it was that easy for him to get a hold of weed either, at that point, because the police were probably uh, keeping an eye on him. Aye, well, you know, he said that he quit weed about 2003, 2004, but he said, like, you know, he felt it was completely clouding his judgement, so... He quit it back then. I think he might have had a point. Okay, <laughs> okay. He made he made some made some terrible terrible life choices in that that period just before he decided to stop smoking it. Well, you know, it's kind of like there was an interview with him from the Telegraph at about two thousand and five, and like Telegraph was asking, like, you know, what do you uh, what do you remember about you know the stuff, and he couldn't remember it. But he said that, like, when the U.S. were trying to get extradite him initially, you know, he tried to do the, you know, the hard man. Oh, I've got information that you wouldn't like me to reveal, so why don't you drop your case? So the U.S. just simply replied, what information do you have? And Gary couldn't remember a single thing because he was high and wasted at the time when reading it. I saw a photo. Have you got <laughs> did you screenshot it or anything? No, no. I mean... <laughs> So, I would actually like to. So, look as a as a follow up, can you get and maybe I, yeah, actually maybe already this piece of information is known. Can you get Gary's opinion on what he thinks happened in nine eleven? Oh, he he doesn't believe he doesn't believe Aunt nine eleven was an inside job. He actually does believe that nine eleven was normal. From what he says, he isn't that he isn't into those conspiracy theories. But that doesn't really tie in with what he's supposed to have left on that computer because he essentially said that it was no coincidence that their security stood down, right? Well, you know, it's one of those things that he said at that time, but I've read an interview since that, you know, different people are interviewing him and he's not really that into conspiracy theories. From what, from this, this is from articles from about 2009, 2010, so... He might have previously believed it, but I think later on he didn't believe in things like 9-11 quite so much. It's just weird that I always find it strange when you find someone who is heavily into lots of fringe conspiracy theories, but and then takes another fringe conspiracy theory and is just like, well, that's just fucking madness. <laughs> like, like, I love the way that people draw the line on certain things. Um, Interestingly, though, Gary McKinnon is a flat earther. Is he actually? No, I don't know. Oh, that would have been the best thing. I was so excited there when you said that. Hashtag well, fake news. 
well, when I was on his Twitter account, uh, there was an awful lot of. He did seem to have an awful lot of like still space alien stuff. Was a high, you know, he's very into reposting stuff about science and aliens, which he was doing quite a bit. Like immigrants or no, 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 space no. aliens. Mostly in space aliens, yeah. Uh, Most, I wasn't sure if he was like a UKIP voter or something. Mostly non-terrestrial travelers, Jerry. <laughs> Not those yeah. terrestrial travellers. Um, it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, I presume that the reason that he's still like, I, I think it's reasonable to say that. I mean, I'm I'm using this. I'm not. I'm using this in the correct terms for what we're discussing here. Not anything to do with my opinion on these things. But I'm guessing he believes in aliens, as in he believes there has been contact, and he believed that's the story that why he got into it all. And I believe that. I would be shocked if he didn't still believe that, especially because he is adamant that he's seen evidence they say that he has. Um, so I would presume that forever he will believe that there has been uh, extraterrestrial contact with certainly the American, if not other governments around the world. Like, uh, I, I would, I would be shocked if he had lost that belief. I that, would be too, but I, I'm not necessarily sure that he's like. He's not. He's not great at making decisions about anything. Seemingly, yeah, he doesn't seem to make the best choices. But, but, but the thing is, right? So the problem with this is, right? And I'm sure actually we've discussed it before. Like, but my my issue with that is that plays into the diagnosis, or certainly some components of a. What they called at the time Aspergers are certainly um, some form of autism on the scale, where like you could argue that he was making poor decisions that because he didn't really understand what the outcome of his decisions were going to be, etc. Uh, yeah, we're going but to. But like I say, sorry. But what I was going to say with that is it doesn't really for me when when we were just talking about it there how he makes bad decisions that doesn't really lend itself to the fact that in my opinion he does like lots of. Uh, he does lots of things like choose what time he's going to be going on and leave messages. And you know what I mean? Like he does lots of things that suggest that he was very aware of what he was doing and why he was doing it. You know, there was, well, there was certainly a malicious aspect to it. I would agree with you there that like, it wasn't that he was just looking for stuff, but he did seem to be looking for trouble at the same time. So what was the, what was the eventual outcome of all the legal proceedings against him then Luke? So, basically, after David Cameron got elected by the Conservative Party, under the kind of, we are a new kind of Conservatives, uh, the extradition feeling was pretty strong, like, you know, people didn't want it. But David Cameron met people like President Obama initially, and he was saying that we're looking for an adequate solution. But Obama, like Bush, was still pushing to get McKinnon sent over, like, they wanted a result. And McKinnon was still left hanging, that it wasn't something that David Cameron immediately acted on, that it ended up that Gary was still signing into police stations and still dealing with all this crap while, you know, Cameron was pretty much sitting on his hands. And eventually, what happened on the 16th of October in 2012, so 10 years after the arrest, Prime Minister Theresa May announced the extradition had been blocked by her personally in front of the House of Commons. She had put down a barring order 
And yeah, she said that there was too much of a fear that Gary McKinnon would kill himself or hurt himself. And there was a bad potential that bad things could happen to him if he went don't know bad things would happen to you if you were deported, but uh, she said like the risk was too high, so she was just drawing a line under it. But what was said was, Mr. McKinnon is accused of serious crimes. There is no doubt that he is seriously ill. He has Asperger's syndrome and suffers from depressive illness. Mr. McKinnon's extradition would, ri- would give rise to such high risks of him ending his life that a decision to extradite would be incompatible with Mr. McKinnon's human rights. So she blocked anything happening from deportation side, but also she kind of left it up in the air that he could still potentially be prosecuted in the UK for the crime. But because uh, because the crime had happened in America, the DPP, so uh, the Public Prosecution Service, said they would not prosecute him because all it was impossible because due to all the evidence being in the United States, there was no real evidence on their side that McKinnon had committed a crime. So from this point, McKinnon was free and no longer had to sign into police stations. He was just, as long as he doesn't leave the UK, he seems relatively safe. And that's pretty much where his story ends. But there's an odd, there's an odd piece that came out about McKinnon in 2014. And it didn't make the most sense to me. Maybe you guys could help me with it. In 2014, Gary McKinnon's real biological father had a stroke. And Gary wanted to go up to Scotland to see him. But contacted the Scottish government, or rather his mother Jackie contacted the Scottish government and said if he went up to Scotland, would there be a risk of him being extradited? And the Scottish government didn't give him an answer. So he didn't go up to Scotland. So again, that'll be all based off what Jerry was talking about, how the laws and court system in Scotland are slightly different than they are in England and, well, I suppose Northern Ireland and Wales as well. But I don't really know we Northern Ireland, but certainly England and Wales. Um, we have various different laws and the way that they are enforced and the way that our uh, court hearings make decisions on people's guilt and stuff like that are all slightly different for the way that it happens in the rest of the UK. Well, essentially, essentially we have a different court law, we have a completely different law system. So if you look at something more recent like uh, Clara Ponsanti, who was involved with the Catalan referendum, she's a Catalonian politician who is also a lecturer at the University of St Andrews, I believe. The extradition um, request didn't go to Westminster, it went to Holyrood, and it was them who were dealing with it. As far as I understand, um, <laughs> there was no fucking chance it gone. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like the chances. So, so essentially, you know, if he went up to Scotland, there might be a chance of the USA requesting extradition from Scotland via the Scottish government. The odd thing to me was when I googled it because I thought this was an odd story. I googled it and said extradition isn't a power the Scottish government has. It's still down to Westminster. So I was kind of a bit confused by the whole thing. I mean, I might be talking shite, but I'm, that's my understanding. I mean, I know certainly the problem is, is like I said, the the way that the laws are applied can be different because, of, because as Jerry said, it's a completely different legal system. So the danger might just be that 
him going to Scotland gives them the chance to loophole something. It's you know what I mean like we'll take a stab in the dark and say Gary's probably a bit paranoid as a person in the grand scheme of things all the time anyway. Um, so just the chance, just the fact that the laws are slightly different in Scotland, the the fear that it was probably just uh, belt and braces the scenario and like trying to make sure that if he went to Scotland, they wouldn't be tried or held accountable or anything like that in a different scenario do you know what i mean i'm like i'm guessing that's the reason he done it i can't be 100 percent certain i would have i would have thought for america i know they don't do it on a country by country basis but i'd have thought in america it would still be part it would still go through westminster but i mean it might go to hollywood i don't know certainly all of the legal proceedings would be clear Passant Ponsati went through the Scottish police and went through the Scottish courts. Indeed, I, I, I don't know if that's just a, because it's the EU or, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't know where, where, the, where the difference would be there. But yeah, I mean, certainly just to say the danger would be, like I said, it's a, it's a different legal system in Scotland. So it was probably just paranoid. Well, I mean, he's definitely a paranoid person. Do you know what I mean? He was looking for fucking aliens on NASA's website, on NASA's yeah. computers. As an interesting aside, um, the, obviously you were saying it was the Department of Public Prosecutions that um, basically chose not to prosecute him um, in the UK because the evidence was held in the US. It was Keir Starmer was the Director of Public Prosecutions at the time. He's the Labour Shadow Brexit Secretary at the moment, but that was his previous job. Well, at least yep. that means the Labour Party did do something decent in this story because... For a long part of it, they do, they do seem to have been against McKinnon. But before we go into that, I'd just like to ask the question. So McKinnon was pretty much, they said, you know, because he was suicidal and that he nothing happened to him and he didn't go to jail. So he was put under like 10 years of pretty intense pressure, but he didn't spend a single day in jail, although he was under house arrest, which was pretty harsh. So here's my question to you two. Do you think McKinnon should have gone to jail Either in the UK or America. So, I mean, I'll start quickly and say, like I said, I think it's very, very I think it's very difficult to claim that he didn't know what he was doing or what there wasn't a malicious aspect to what he was doing. So, as such, I mean, he was a criminal, wasn't he? I mean, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing was uh, a criminal act, and he knew there would be possible repercussions there. As such. Probably should have went through the right process that ended up in jail. I mean, I'd, I believe that his diagnosis, as much as probably does ring true to an extent, um, as certainly we've spoke about off uh, mic before, like there's lots of people who would be able to fall in various parts of the autistic scale if you really dug deep and you had to make that happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I see, it seemed very convenient that these things came up for him when I don't really think they were real driving forces behind his becoming a hairdresser, getting into IT, starting to hit NASA, leaving malicious letters and knowing exactly what he was doing, staying up late at night and doing it from a different house so it wasn't traceable back to him. Like, 
that's the act of someone who knew what they were doing as a criminal. So probably I'd say that he certainly deserves to go to jail. I mean, in actual terms, I believe that he should have taken the original American offer, went over, done about four years, and then he ended up probably getting a job in some kind of kind of quango of the United States Ministry of Defence doing some form of a like the Department of the uh, is it Department of the uh, DOD into the Department of Defence doing something from an offshoot of the Pentagon working in cybersecurity or working to at least show what he done to get to where he was and the information that he had and probably getting a fucking healthy wage off the back of it as well for a few years. He probably should have done that. I would have imagined that even at the four years, he probably wouldn't have found himself serving those four years in an American prison. He'd have found himself going to the American prison for a small amount of time and then being on day release to agencies who wanted to find out what he knew and how he found out what he knew and how he went about doing what he was doing so they could kind of clear it up. That's what I'd have expected would have happened if he just took that deal to start with. But... That's what I think he should have done anyway. I mean, but I mean, yeah, he probably should have went to jail. I think he's a criminal, like, and I think he knew what he was doing. Jerry, uh, I think my position is that certainly from a legal standpoint, he couldn't have went to jail in the UK because, like, there was no evidence held in the UK. He didn't really commit a crime in the UK. Like, he didn't break any UK laws in as such. He didn't hack any UK systems or whatever, um, and there was no evidence held on him by any uh, UK uh, you know, criminal prosecutors or criminal investigations team so there's no way he should have went to jail in the UK I think he's extremely lucky that he didn't go to jail in the US um, I do think that the Asperger's um, diagnosis was extremely convenient for him it didn't seem to affect him very much in lots of other walks of his life, you know, he was able to hold down several jobs he was able to have relationships with both a girl and her aunt so <laughs> uh, as far as i'm concerned he's a he's a lucky boy yeah so i've got a question for the both of you which is essentially and if you could answer individually if the tables were turned here and we had someone in the u.s who was hacking the uk into the mod looking for shit something to do with Iraq or something, you know what I mean, I don't know, but they were trying to find pieces of information to do with the uh, British uh, Ministry of Defence and exploiting uh, their uh, securities loopholes to do that. Um, would you expect them, pretty much without question, to be extradited to the UK to be held accountable for their actions if they were discovered? I kind of feel they should as a reciprocal relationship if the UK wants the hacker, in that case, I would say that it would be the U.S.'s responsibility to hand them over to the U.K. I would say that it should be it should work both ways. Yeah, like I would, I would, I would basically agree with, with that. Um, like I think that uh, the U.K. would and should expect a U.S. citizen who had carried that sort of attack out to be extradited here and prosecuted, and and I, I'm sure. The US probably weren't that happy that we didn't uh, give them what they would expect from a defensive ally. Well, so I think, and I think that answers the question that had looked answered before regarding uh, uh, like the house arrest type stuff and whether he should have went to jail. What should have happened is he should have went to America to be extradited. He should have been extradited to America to be held accountable for his actions because we would unquestionably expect it. 
or want it to happen if the tables were turned. So I think that that's what should have occurred, regardless of whether or not they then decide that he was either disabled in some way or that, that meant that it was okay for his actions or they decided that he didn't do what he had claimed to do or whatever is totally irrelevant that would have been for their courts to decide. I will say that I do agree with Luke that I don't think the US would actually do that um, and I don't think they would have done it regardless of if the McKinnon case had never happened I don't think they would extradite one of their citizens to the UK to be prosecuted anyway Well I mean the UK has now set the precedent because there was another autistic hacker called Laurie Love who was being uh, was attempted to be extradited in 2014. And because he was autistic and he was threatening suicide, they again said, no, the barring order from McKinnon stands that, you know, we're not going to send an autistic person over to America to face punishment for hacking. And, you know, just go on, just saying my opinion on this, should he have went to jail in either the UK or the US? I think that if McKinnon had just been looking for stuff, I think the house arrest and all the pressure would have been a big enough punishment for him, like the 10 years of stuff. I kind of feel that doing that sort of stuff, maybe he should have been punished. But deleting logs, basically writing threats on the page, I think that he, something should have happened to him for doing that, you know, it was a pretty he was looking for trouble and, you know, I think something should have happened to him and, It's terrorism, it, I mean it, it is terrorism, it's digital terrorism It is a form of digital terrorism as you say and I'm just going to say should the Asperger's have been taken into as high consideration now I'm going to just say a few things here just to kind of identify what I have, what my involvement with the field of people with autism is. First, uh, you know, I've been diagnosed with Asperger's myself, so uh, I kind of, I can say from a first-hand opinion. Secondly, I've got a Master's of Science in Autism Spectrum Disorder, and I'm writing a PhD similarly on the same subject. And third, I work with people with learning disabilities, including autism. I, when I'm speaking about this, I'm not an expert, but I'd say I would have more information on the subject than the average person in the street. And just going by what his autism taken into consideration, it, the whole story seems a little bit odd to me because the way it is, is the Gary McKinnon stuff seems to be a split into two very definite sections. There's a stuff from 2005 and 2008 where Gary was doing all these interviews himself. He was going out, he was being charming, he seemed quite charismatic. He seemed like, you know, capable of stuff. And he even released statements like, you know, I'd survive prison if I had to, but, you know, you know, I really don't want to. And he kind of seemed very strong, very strong-willed. And then, according to Baron Cohen, he saw McKinnon on television. And, you know, being kind of like the expert that he is, he thought, this guy's showing some autistic traits. I'll invite him down to Cambridge. Actually, according to Jackie McKinnon's mother, she also says that she was the one to get in contact with Baron Cohen because she put two and two together and thought her son had autism because, you know, there's a load of traits that she claims that he's had. For instance, he has a fear of red peppers. He, you know, he wants... He only eat, No, that's true. That's one of her reasons for saying this. He said he can't eat mushrooms unless sliced into 
eight equal size pieces. She said like he was depressed and spending a lot of time alone in the dark. And when he was growing up, he would shout uncontrollably when on a bus. And, you know, he'd faint on the underground because of like, you know, the amount of people around him. These are, these eccentricities do point towards certain behaviors like this would indicate that, you know, he potentially would be on the autistic spectrum. And I would like, trust- I don't want to feel bad. I, 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 I don't, I don't want to feel come across as insensitive there when I laughed about the theory red peppers, but it is a ridiculous sentence to be, to be presented with at any given point. Like she probably could have removed that from the description and still have got the same basic principle. All the stuff about fainting, shouting, the dark, the depression and that kind of stuff probably didn't need to inc- include the fear of red peppers as a, as a thing. In they my opinion, the scariest. they are the scariest of all the peppers. Well, you know, I just, that wasn't initially, that was from a 2015 article that she wrote, but I was just trying to link all the autistic traits that she mentioned that he had. And, you know, once Baron Cohen took him in and said he had Asperger's, the entire situation around McKinnon seems to change. That Instead of Gary doing all the interviews, it's his mum starts speaking for him. And she's doing all the kind of, oh, Gary would do this and Gary would do that. And you don't hear McKinnon speak at all really during this period it's always his mother jackie speaking on his behalf and before it he seemed to be quite you know well spoken he'd do interviews he had opinions you know he'd get he went to kind of like russia today and all these places and was just doing all these sorts of like you know you know speaking and you know the second that he got the autistic thing it seems like they intentionally seemed to infantilize him in a kind of weird way that it was like his mother was speaking for him and then she was saying, well, Gary has all these problems and he's always had all these problems. And it's very clear that he has, you know, all these things. And, you know, before that, he was a guy who was living on his own. He was he was a hairdresser, which I'll be honest, is quite a social job. He had a girlfriend, you know, he, he had an active social life. His friends were encouraging him to do this. I'm not saying that he didn't have Asperger's, but I'm simply indicating towards is autism is a wide spectrum and i would say that there would be certain people who who would be high functioning autistic might not be aware of what they were doing you know they might not do this but it kind of indicates that like i would say just i don't i don't know gary and i've never spoken to gary maybe i might get a different opinion but i think they kind of deliberately made him out to be worse than he was to kind of like a garner sympathy and b to take away like you know his ability to deal with the situation and kind of say oh no 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 he's autistic he didn't actually he wasn't able to you know process all this stuff all this sort of stuff gee it does it like it certainly strikes me as a concerted pr campaign you know get the get the autism diagnosis and then play up to the symptoms of it you know and as you say deliberately infantilize and deliberately keep him away from the camera have his mother speaking about his condition and speaking about him have other people speaking about his condition and speaking about him i think it's worth noting that they raised uh, a decent amount of money via the various campaigns in the papers etc and probably a decent amount of that money was spent on good lawyers and that's the sort of advice a good lawyer would give um- I mean, also, look, you had just just quickly, you had also pointed out that uh, in the next case, 
that a precedent had been set with the McKinnon case where because it was autistic they said that they wouldn't send them on the same grounds. I mean, I would imagine that probably most people that are caught as hackers probably fit somewhere on the spectrum. Do you know what I mean? They, they probably fit certainly somewhere on the scale. You could find components of them definitely. I mean, because they're it's almost like a trait of hackers, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a lot of parts to it. It's it's quite worthwhile to have this precedent set because pretty much any day that's ever caught after that ever will almost certainly be able to be shown to be in some way, shape or form autistic. And yeah. then you never need to extradite anyone by the same basic grounds, you know what I mean? Well, you know, that kind of makes sense to me. It's just... You know, it's just the entire thing seems a little bit off because, you know, they started referring to autism as like a severe illness. And autism isn't an illness. It's kind of more of a trait that people have. It can be a disability. But like, you know, what I would say is that using terms, people will sometimes refer to being on the autistic spectrum as a learning disability. But not everyone who has autism would be classified as having a learning disability. Like, I certainly am not. It's one of those things that, like, it can be a very, very wide spectrum, and they kind of went on the kind of stereotypes of autism that, you know, it's kind of, like, severe and it affects people and makes their lives very, you know, poor and stuff like that. And I can tell you, like, as an autistic adult, that the way I kind of feel is, like, you know, I could easily tell you if I was doing something wrong, was a crime or not. But, you know, if I was arrested for something, I'm pretty sure I'd do the same as Gary and be like, oh, I didn't know my consequences. You know, don't get for all you can. It's like, you know, it's like if I met you guys in the pub and then you were saying, look, have you got your wallet in my pocket? I would be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm autistic and I didn't realize possessions belong to people. And you'd be like, no, I know you, Luke. You're a reasonable individual. You just pocketed my wallet, you absolute cunt. You know, it's, that's it's the way weird. it would work. It's weird to me. It almost seems as if they've made autism some sort of scapegoat in this situation. Indeed. If I didn't know better, I'd say you planned this all along, Look, Like, I, 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 I would say, like... Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you guys. I think I think it has been used as an excuse, but I would also say this: like, if it was either either one of us that were in the position he was in, like, I would do anything and say anything if I thought it was going to get me out of jail. So, like, you need to kind of hold your hands up and have a bit of respect for him. He got out of it. He got away with it. He he did he did the crime. He didn't do the time. So you know, good luck to him. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just as a caveat to everything that I said, like I'm not holding it against him for saying that he'd done that. I'm just, I just don't believe that he's a. I, I just believe that, like, as a as an adult, I am looking at it and I'm saying it's absolute bullshit. But but like you know, I'm not holding it against him for not getting fucking extradited and getting tried under the backside of the fucking Patriot Act in America and spending the next 25 years in Guantanamo. It's not going to have been a nice experience for him. Fuck, even if he wasn't suicidal, it would have been by the end of it, do you know what I mean? Like, and it was after 9-11, say 2003, 2004, whatever, there was a very real chance that he was going to, you know, go there under the Patriot Act, do you know what I mean? Like, and he would have just been sent to, like, 
Guantanamo or an equivalent thereof, and it'd have been shit for him. So I'd have avoided that with the fucking plague. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite glad that I have a friend who's a prominent uh, like autism expert. So uh, yeah, if I'm ever in trouble for anything, look, I'll be looking to you for a diagnosis. I so you know, look. By the way, at some point or another, you are definitely going to be testifying, probably in America. Oh, and I fuck me and Jerry's podcast as a podcast ran by two autistic lads. Like, <laughs> almost definitely. So, guys, I'm going to throw a wild theory in your direction. Julian Assange has called himself a little autistic at different times. If he was to be given a proven diagnosis, do you think he should be let off from his hacking crimes? I mean, he's not actually. Is he? Is he? charged with hacking crimes or is he charged with like raping some Swedish bird I mean the, the difficulty here is is see if you're able to say you don't fully un, right, see if you say you don't really fully understand your actions and you're using autism as the excuse for it where do, where do you stop in that chain like, if he gets diagnosed as being like, no, he is quite autistic and stuff like that, and he's like, I don't understand the results of my actions, then he just says, like, oh, I didn't realise it was rape. Do you know what I mean? Like, where, where does that chain stop? Does that not become an incredibly dangerous chain in uh, court systems? Brett Kavanaugh, he'll be autistic next. Well, exactly. If Ka- Sorry, well, I was just, uh, just to agree. If Kavanaugh just ca- did come out and says, oh, I'm, I'm autistic, and then somebody diagnoses him as a statistic in three hours, like McKinnon, do you know what I mean? And then he says, so I didn't realise when I was 17 that I was being a horrible, rapey man. Like, does that then, does that then become a thing? Does that then become like a, a get-out-of-jail-free card for, like, as I said, a whole shitload of people that in some form or another you can find some actions that can make it seem like they might be on the autistic scale? Like, that becomes very dangerous if you start using it. And on the other side, I think it's very important to note that there are certain people on the spectrum who'd be very potentially vulnerable. And if people started to believe, like, you know, all people with autism, you know, we can't really trust that as a diagnosis because certain cases, like if Julian Assange potentially was got out of prison because of this, or as you said, Brett Kavanaugh, this could, like, affect people who really need the help, they need the support, that they need people to believe in them and they need people to kind of treat them as some of their actions may not be we should treat them in the same way that we would treat people who would be more towards the neurotypical part of the spectrum you know yeah you could potentially give yourself a bad situation that you have people who have the uh, higher functioning getting away of things and people with the lower functioning really suffering so yeah this is potentially something that could badly affect and you know could set a really bad precedent Okay, well, uh, yeah, I think that summarizes pretty much the way we all feel about the McKinnon case was that he was, he was he is autistic because he's been diagnosed as that, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have uh, responsibility for his actions. And it does set up... Yeah, his actions, his actions are as a top anti-shagger. Well, you know, That's A-U-N-T-Y, not A-N-T-I. <laughs> he's not an anti-shagger. Like, he's a shagger of an auntie. Well, you know, he might be part of the NoFap community or something like that. But, uh, he's a proud yeah. boy. Yeah, if he's not <laughs> masturbating, we'll give him uh, magical powers. 
Well, like, to be able to hack and shag people's aunties. Yeah. Those powers are magic. You know, for Gary, I think uh, they potentially would be. He's a man who could drink 12 cans of Fosters and then still be hacking away like pros. <laughs> respect, mad respect. Maybe we could all learn something from Mr. McKinnon. But, uh, okay, guys, so would you like to say anything before we go or plug your podcast? don't know, but I think I might try and make a new t-shirt that says uh, Shag an Auntie, Hack a Government. That seems like a good... Well, you know the way that I kind of made... I don't know if anyone saw it on this Jacob <laughs> YouTube channel that I made a little video game of... Uh, from a disaster. Super good. I might make a Gary McKinnon RPG where he has to go around and find somebody's auntie, you know, but... <laughs> Shagging at a buy some weed, drink cans of Foster's. You know, my en- my energy is low. You know, must buy twelve pack of Foster's. Your Marlboro, le- your Marlboros are di- running dangerously low. Will you go to the shop? Oh, your t-shirt could be instead of who shot first solo. It could be like do shots first solo. <laughs> Fucking it writes itself, writes itself. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you have any plug, but like I says, I might make some t-shirts relevant to this episode. Yeah, no, just uh, just come and check us out on www.notanotherfakenewscast.com and uh, and thank you very much for having us, Luke. Absolutely, look, it was totally enjoyable. And if you want to do an episode in House of Lords, I will happily come back and do that with you. <laughs> ah, cool, cool. But the one thing I would recommend, if anyone is going to listen to Not Another Fake Newscast, you did, I think it was your 10th episode that you rounded up what different stories you had done last year. And I think that that's a very, very approachable, good first episode if you kind of want to get a feel for all the different things Paul and Jerry do. So I would advise, like, if you haven't listened to them, that would be a very good place to start. Just that's just my own opinion. Do you have, like, a favorite episode that you could recommend just in case, uh, you know, First, people who want to like make a guy to your podcast. I mean, I will do the opposite. I'll say if you're going to start on a podcast or one of your episodes, don't start on the gun control episode because we go quite deep into it. There's a lot of numbers and stats and figures, and it's about gun control. So it's not a cheery episode. It's very difficult to have a lot of fun when you're talking about gun deaths across the whole United States of America. So I wouldn't start on that episode. I'd certainly start, I would, monthly, any of the monthly rundown episodes, kind of as Luke says, but following that, any of the monthly rundown episodes are probably the best way to jump in because it's me and Jerry at our most relaxed. But from a deep dive episode, if you don't know everything about the Cambridge Analytica stuff, maybe like listen to that episode or that entire run, the stuff about uh, terrorism in the Middle East, the stuff about uh, HSBC, that I that whole run I found quite enjoyable yourself, Jerry. I'd say if you're looking for a shorter podcast, then you could jump into one of our interviews. Um, we recently interviewed uh, Orwell, a winning novelist, uh, Dara McGarvey, who wrote Poverty Safari. Uh, I'd say that's you know like an hour long podcast, a little shorter than the rest of it, uh, our, our stuff, and uh, it's a really interesting interview. Yeah, I mean, I'd also recommend short-wise the Byline Festival episode was pretty good. Yeah, there's a video of us on our YouTube channel as well doing that. Uh, so actually the video of us on stage 
performing at the Byline Festival, talking about Mr. Corbin. Anti-Semitism. Rob recorded that, didn't he, for you? He did indeed, did indeed. Friend of all the shows. Well, you know, a man generally who gets around and does a lot of fun activities, so shout out to you. Yeah, well, uh, thanks very much for coming on, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, and, you know, for my podcast, I need to make more material but as i put up on the youtube channel last night uh the as you have a few people guessed from the clues the next episode is satanic panic but there's so much information that i'm dividing up into different stuff so the first section we'll do general and then we'll move on into more towards the music the videos and you know even there's a little bit on D and the satanic panic because that gets weird when gary gygax gets interested but uh yeah, thanks very much for listening, guys, and uh, hope you have a good one. Can I, hope, hope, sorry? I just wanted to say one more thing. Um, if, if anybody has came to this episode of the podcast via us and isn't aware of Luke, um, my personal favourite episode of Scapegoat is the one about the the, the girl in the airport, or the, the, the guy in, who's uh, who's in the airport. What's What, what was the, the name of the episode, Luke? It's called Terminal. For me, it's the Royal Family episode. Have a swatch of that if you get a chance because uh, it's got lots of good information in it, the type of stuff that I like. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, okay. Well, thanks very much, guys. And uh, yeah, so I hope everyone will listen to me soon and also listening to Not Another Fake Newscast. Uh, Paul did a very good episode on disaster artists on Predator last week, which I'd highly advise you to listen to as well. So know that all that's done so i'll talk to you soon bye bye bye